good day, and thanks for tuning in to Gab and Grow. For this episode, and for the rest of this academic year at least, we're adding a monthly featured series that we're calling Speak Its Name, and I want to talk a little bit before we start about what you'll be hearing in this series and about why we're doing it. Racism is an issue in our country. It's built into the very fabric of our Constitution. For many recent years as a country, a lot of us believed that this systemic racism had simply faded away and it wasn't an issue like it had been in the past. But we were wrong, in no small part, because we were privileged enough not to see it and to feel it. That's not the case for many of our fellow citizens. One of the reasons we've been able to be so blind to the issue is because we don't speak about it. We don't ask people about their experiences, perhaps because we're afraid of their answers. I don't know. But what I do know is that when we start to ask the questions and when we take some time to listen to the answers we get, when we actually hear people's stories, then we start to become compelled to take action because we start to actually observe what we're told is happening. Things that we overlooked before become blatant, and we simply can't ignore them any longer. Is this podcast going to change the world? Is it going to end systemic racism? I wish I could say yes, but the answer is no. What the podcast will do, I hope, is to provide a platform where our colleagues, our friends, our community members who experience these issues that debase their humanity and sometimes end their lives will have this small platform in which to start to share their stories. It's a place for us to listen to and to hear what the people who are living their lives with us can tell us about those lives. And it's a place where, when we listen, we might start to see ways to move forward together toward a future that values each of us as human beings, regardless of our religious beliefs, regardless of our wealth or our abilities, and regardless of the shades of our skin. It's a place where we can speak its name and then begin to talk about the ways that we can support each other in our humanity. I think it might be tough to hear from time to time, and that's okay. Things in life are tough, and we can't always just back away and not think about or talk about or do something about it because it feels better or safer. So I'm asking you to tune in. I'm asking you to listen to the stories that are being told, and just for a few moments, put yourself in the place of the person telling the story. Then, as we go along, we'll also be talking about the things that we each can do to make it better. Some ideas are going to be big, as you might expect, but others are things that we can each do individually and in a million ways to make it better. I hope you'll come along on the journey we're about to take and that you'll be moved to find ways to begin to dismantle systemic racism in our part of the world. Let's give it a try. You know, this summer, in addition to all things COVID, um, we faced and we continue to face another pandemic in the United States anyway, and that's systemic racism. And something kind of happened as a country to us when police officers in Minnesota killed George Floyd, um, something that really caused kind of a tipping point, I think, for our country in terms of race relations. And today, we want to kind of start off a series of discussions about that and 
And, you know, we want to talk about why it matters that Black Lives Matter. And so I've invited as our guest for this initial discussion, Danielle King, who in addition to working in our pre-collegiate and access department, see, she's a resource, um, she teaches the Black experience in America here at WCSU. So welcome to the show, Danielle. Oh, thank you so much, Mary Beth. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. You thought I was never going to let you talk, right? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> well, I got more to say still. So, so a couple of weeks ago when I was starting to formulate these ideas and things, you and I talked and I had this idea for the series. And I think, you know, I can probably speak for both of us. I hope that we didn't want the passion and the voices and the stories that people were sharing this summer to fade away when everything kind of returned to normal. And, you know, but I also think it's important to have a, a good feeling of the background of how we got to this point. And so, you know, I'm hoping today that that we can talk and you can help kind of walk us through some of that. So does that sound like a good plan? Sounds good to me, Maribeth. All right. You know, well, one of the things one of the things I've uh, sorry, I'm cutting you off again. One of the things I discovered this summer is really exactly how much I don't know about our history, um, particularly when it comes to our black population. And so I wondered if we could start by maybe just talking about that history in our past and why you think we leave so much out of our history books. Ah, uh, uh, well, uh, you know, it's really important that we learn about our history because uh, if we really want to understand the state of race in America, we, we really need to examine that past, even if it's painful and even if it's somewhat shameful, you know, we, we need to re-educate ourselves about what we think we know uh, because what what really has happened to us is that our current education has been founded on white supremacy and once we consciously recognize that we'll be we'll be able to move ahead and you know really learn about the past and what happened and what has brought us to where we are today uh Historically, wow! I think that could be a whole another podcast, I know, I know. <laughs> you know. But Here, but first twenty minutes, tell us everything about the last four hundred years. Yeah. Okay. Can we have that like rapid, <laughs> rapid speak thing? Uh, but you know, basically, how did America get here? How did we get here? Uh, I've really thought about it since our last conversation, and I would say it's three main things. Uh, and the first is that America was founded on white supremacy. The second is that uh, America was founded on terrorism, even if we refuse to acknowledge that. And, you know, even simple things like our anthem, it was written by a man who was a white supremacist. And, uh, and a, he, he just uh, incorporated uh, so many elements that were hateful if we look at the third verse of our anthem. So these are our simple things that point to that. But, you know, going back to our nation being founded on white supremacy, we can say, well, why do you say that? Well, uh, you know, 40 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence owned slaves, you know, and under the Constitution, a slave was considered three-fifths of a free person. Mm -hmm. Now, what is that? Three-fifths yeah. of, a, of a person. And it's, it's very telling as to where the nation goes from there. 
when we look at things like uh, the 14th Amendment, uh, when it was altered in 1883 mm -hmm. uh, to really change a lot of things, that really cemented where America would go. Uh, and these are things that we really have to look at. But if we don't know these things, it's easy for people today to say, oh, slavery happened long ago. Get over it. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we really can't because these things are embedded in the bedrock and the foundation of, of America. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and the other thing that I mentioned about America being founded on terrorism, well, we're not even going to speak about the Native Americans, right? We're going to, we're going to talk about, yeah. uh, you know, when we look back to Tulsa uh, City, Greenwood, that was a thriving uh, community of, of African Americans. Mm -hmm. And basically it was decimated. Uh, and why? You know, wealth didn't mean equality. And, right. you know, it, it's, it's something that we have to look at, that uh, from day one, you know, the slaves are brought here and they're other than, they are not human beings. And that uh, mentality towards African-Americans, it, it persists today. Uh, there's resentment uh, of, about uh, African-American wealth and that somehow is a, a powder keg that, you know, it's just waiting for a spark. And that's exactly what happened in Greenwood. Here I am running off again, not letting you speak. <laughs> you know, you know it, it's funny because I, I've taken on as a personal responsibility, you know, trying to learn more because I, I'm really ashamed, I think, to say, how much I don't know, because I've always considered myself, you know, curious and fairly knowledgeable, good, bad, and ugly about things that have gone on in the country. But there's just so much that I'm now becoming acquainted with that's, that's stuff I've never heard of, stuff I don't know about, things that that we've had, you know, codified into law in the country that, you know, is just forgotten throughout our history. And so, you know, I'm wondering if you have suggestions for people like me who, you know, have this new sudden curiosity, where, where do we go, you know, so that we're better prepared to become the allies we should have been for a long time? Well, you know, as I always say, Mary Beth, there's no shame in not knowing. I think the real shame is not wanting to know uh, where you would go. I, you know, I too am learning even, you know, it's, I don't know everything. There are things that I uncover and I'm like, wow, I can't wait to share that. Uh, I recently, well, now it's kind of hard, but there are so many online resources. I highly recommend uh, the Schomburg of um, it's in New York City. Mm -hmm. They have a great online file of African American history and culture. That's a great place to start. And also the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Yeah. Uh, what a wonderful resource! I, oh, yeah. you know, I, I feel so fortunate to have been able to visit mm -hmm. uh, before you know this whole thing happened. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I was that, there in February. It was oh, astounding. Wow. Right. Yeah. 
amazing, amazing place. So that's, and, you know, and again, just go online. Uh, Other things that are more specific, like the Tuskegee Airmen National Historical uh, Museum in Detroit, Mm -hmm. there's a national memorial for peace and justice in Montgomery, Alabama. And um, a place that I wanted to go to, but it was, you know, I wasn't able to get there was the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana. But again, just get online and the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, all great resources that really um, have a lot to offer. And that's, I think that's one of the good things that has come out of the COVID stuff is that so many, so many of those museums and things have made so much more of their information available online because people aren't able to, to go visit that, that things are just there. Um, you know, one of the things, and I think I told you this, I, I, there are lots of free classes that are available and Yale has a class on African-American history from emancipation to the present that I've been slowly working my way through this awesome. summer. Um, because I'm trying to read all the books and he's, he's pretty dense with, I think there are like 12 books and one of them has a thousand pages in it. So oh my goodness, I'm, I'm flogging away at it. But, you know, I think for me, that's one of the, the things that's kind of kept this whole issue kind of pushed forward in my thoughts. And, you know, I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons I really wanted to start in with this, little mini series is because I think just as humans, we get all excited about something and we, you know, we're going to fight about it. And then life gets in the way and things happen and we just kind of go back. And, and that's, that's one of the things I think that's maybe different this time is that, you know, it's, it's not just going away. And so, you know, how do, how do we work on learning this history and, and doing this, but also what, what do you think made it, made this, that, that tipping point kind of thing? What, do, what makes this different this time? Wow. Where do I begin? Well, <laughs> uh, there, there are a number of different factors that uh, made this very different, um, that created this, this perfect storm that has led to where we are, where we're curious and we really want to know the truth, whatever that may be. Yeah. As you know, uh, and I would think that the catalyst for this would be that a it was caught. Uh, George Floyd's murder was caught on video. Uh, two, it occurred during a pandemic with mm-hmm. high unemployment, and three, it was really the last straw. You know. Uh, Mr. Floyd's death came right after the death of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor. Uh, and people, even though there were other deaths, you know, other recordings, somehow those other recordings were somehow ambiguous. And this mm-hmm. was not. It was particularly yeah. gruesome. Yeah. It was obvious. And, and there was no mistaking what it was. So this outcry happened. And... I would say all of these things came together to create this perfect storm. People were home because of the pandemic. People saw the video, more people saw it. And additionally, it was able to draw a more racially diverse uh, cross-section of people 
participating in uh, the protests, which is, in my opinion, very significant. Mm -hmm. So that changes it. And uh, uh, this is not to say that in the 60s and 70s, uh, there weren't uh, there wasn't diversity there. Oh, absolutely, there was. However, this is this is a little different. There's a shift, and uh, I think these are all of the things that really contributed to making making it different. And it feels different. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, I think I was at the there was a march on campus this summer shortly after yes. this happened. And one of the most moving parts of that for me was, you know, specific to the George Floyd incident, that we remained silent at the start of the march for the time that it took for the police to kill him. And eight, eight minutes doesn't sound like a lot until you're standing there waiting for that time to pass. And what you're thinking is they were they were killing someone during this eight minutes, you know, and and so it was it was really, really profound to me. And I had had a similar um, reaction a few years ago when Eric Garner was killed in New York because I happened to be in the city. You know, I think it was I can't remember if it was the same night or if it was the next night, but there was a protest and the streets in the canyons of Manhattan were ringing out with people who were chanting, I can't breathe. And that, that phrase for me, I think, has so solidified this whole movement because so frequently people are literally having the air taken out of their bodies. And there's something about that that's really causes a profound reaction, maybe because it's, you know, something we all can identify with. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, what it is, but this, this feels so different, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, as you said, it is profound. Uh, I think, you know, with Eric Gardner, you know, there were rallies and calls, uh, you know, and protests uh, mm -hmm. after uh, Tamir Rice, uh, right. Michael Brown and Eric Gardner, you know, they mm -hmm. were there, but uh, we're seeing that the response is more sustained and widespread. And I think that there are, it's happening in communities that are predominantly white and this yeah. is significant and this helps because what it what it signifies is that there is a willingness of of acceptance of understanding mm -hmm. that this is no longer acceptable and that change has to take place and that something is inherently wrong with with our system of yeah. being and living and it's it's just no longer okay to look away mm -hmm. and i i think that's you know something that i've also noticed is we tend to live, you know, if something's a two-day news cycle, that's a long time in the United States. Yes. And so, you know, the fact that this has been months going on really says something. And I think, you know, maybe one of the things is that it it doesn't end with one of those events. There's always something following it up. Just, you know, yesterday we found out about um, 
Mr. Prude, I think his name was in, in Rochester. Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, the fact that we didn't know about it when it happened and now months later, the information is coming out and the same thing, you know, somebody has literally having their breath taken away from them again. It, it just, you know, for me, that's, that has propelled me, I guess. And, and the other thing that, that I'm finding is that I, you know, I think, and this speaks to a little of, of what we want to do with this little kind of mini series is that every person of color I know has stories about things that have happened to them, not a story, but stories of things that have happened to them that could easily have turned into this kind of situation. Absolutely. And I, I know that, you know, you said you had a few stories that that were personal to you that maybe you could share here. Um, well, sure. That, that have happened to you. Sure. Uh, you know, well, to begin with, you know, what comes to mind is that I'm not sure. I, I don't know how to live without worry for my two young African-American sons. I often wonder what that feels like to be able to uh, have my son drive down the street. And even more so now that he's going to school in the, in the South, in mm -hmm. North Carolina, you know, just the other day he told me, he said, oh, mom, I just drove over to South Carolina just to explore. And the fear, the panic that arose in me, I, I said, wait a minute, I haven't done my job because he should know better not to drive there. And that's not rational. Right. And why, why, you know, when he started driving, I had to laminate a copy of his driver's license and registration. And I put it in a plastic sleeve. And I said, whenever you get into this car, make sure that you put it on the seat mm -hmm. so that if you're ever pulled over, you don't have to reach for anything. You just wind down the window and you put this outside the window immediately before the officer even approaches your car to show complete submission and compliance so that you're not a threat. And I wonder, I mean, do other mothers have to uh, go through this? Well, yes, African-American mothers do. Mm -hmm. this yeah, is what, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things that you know, in talking with some of my colleagues about their experiences too, I, I have never had to have that thought. I've had other thoughts. My daughter is an Asian. And so, you know, there are other concerns and worries I have. Um, but I've never had to have the thought that, that I worry if she drives to the store that she might not be back because she has, you know, she was speeding. It's it, it's and people I know have that every time their children go out every single time. And, you know, I consider myself fortunate because my sons are what over 18 and they're alive, I, you know, but that could change in the blink of an eye. You know, I, I think, oh, someone's going to pull them over and say, well, oh, where did you steal that car? Or, you know, you know, and I tell them, don't play rap music play classical music. Mm 
So what am I really telling my child? I'm saying, don't be yourself. Right. Because it's not safe to be who you are. Right. And, uh, you know, I know other people who have had absolutely horrifying experiences, uh, you know, being pulled out of cars, being uh, just assaulted for no reason. Uh, But, you know, it's it, it has to change. This is this is no way to live. So, you know, I, I know we're not going to resolve this in 30 minutes or less, but, you know, what are what are some things, particularly, you know, looking from outside of this, how, how, I know talking about it is one of the things that I think can really help because I think we tend not to talk about it because it's a difficult conversation. And we don't want to hear it and we don't want to believe it exists, you know, and, and I think, you know, on, on the other side, why tell the story because who's listened for 400 years, you know, so how do we, how do we get somewhere that we're not just telling stories too, but how do we use the, the strength that comes from that to make change? I'm going to do the deep exhale. <laughs> I think that's a question that we have been trying to answer, maybe not as consciously as we are doing it mm-hmm. now or as transparently now. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I think the fact that this uh, resurgence of interest in our history and uh, what the African-American experience has been, I think that helps because education, of course, that's always the key. However, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones. Uh, you know, the first thing is to really acknowledge that, yes, there is a problem because there are people who, despite the George Floyds, the Tamir Rices and the Michael Browns, they will say, well, you know, oh, he shouldn't have been doing this. And they'll explain it away. Uh, Or they'll even look at the George Floyd video. And uh, unlike you, uh, you know, Mary Beth, you you made this connection, you know, between the eight minutes and this life being snuffed out in that space of time. There are others who will justify it, uh, you know, find some other way. And that's you know, it's, it becomes a little more difficult to get around that sort of uh, uh, ingrained belief system. Uh, I'm, you know, I can honestly say that I'm not sure what the answer is. Is it to go out and vote? Well, we've been voting for years. Well, actually, not that long. You know, I can <laughs> yeah. another, you know, talk right. about that. But, you know, we can, we can change things. But I think, I think the key here is to sustain this movement, Um, even if it's not the Black Lives Movement, because not everyone aligns with that. Mm -hmm. They may believe in in, uh, that Black lives do matter, but not necessarily the movement that is taking place. It's, uh, you know, and that's kind of a tricky thing. You know, people Mm -hmm. don't quite understand that. But uh, I think the important thing is to be to be conscious, to be aware and to have that desire to make change and not to give up. And I'm really inspired because uh, in class, I'm hearing the young people talking about these things very openly. 
Right. And they're making parallels between what I'm saying that happened mm -hmm. between what's happening now. And I think that's powerful. Right. So right. And I think that's, yeah. that's one of the things as I've been, you know, doing the reading and research and, and trying to learn more about it, that, that really has started to kind of bring things together too, is that, you know, this isn't something that happened then. This is something that happened and happened and happened and is happening and is going to continue happening until we actively do something to stop it. And so, you know, I think my little corner of this right now is really just to give us a, a place that we can speak its name and that we can tell the stories about it because I, I really believe if we start to understand people listening to their stories, that it helps us so much more to, to be able to take that next step. What, you know, it might take you a while to figure out what your next step is, but you're working toward that, I guess. And, and I'm hoping that, that that's what we can do with this. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, you, you had this vision of creating this, this space to have this discussion because it's, it's easy to shove it aside and say, well, it's not happening. As you said, well, guess what? You know, people will say slavery is it, it's over. It it's, it's done with. And as you said, it's, it's 400 years ago. Uh, actually, you know, I could argue that point and say, no, actually it's not. Mm -hmm. And you could see how how this nation perpetuated slavery into our modern day uh, system of enslavement mm -hmm. with our prisons. I right. mean, from from, you know, slavery to sharecropping to peonage. And here we are, you know, yeah. this this system of modern day slavery. Right. So right. so, uh, you know, this is great. And yes, this is an amazing platform. And. I think uh, people participating and hearing uh, these discussions, you know, it, it should encourage them to delve more into, you know, what America really is. Yeah. Well, I, I'm hoping that's the case. And so, you know, as we get, we have to wrap up sadly, but, um, you know, I want to just put out a call for students, faculty, staff, you know, others affiliated with the community, we're gonna be trying to do this about once a month all year. And I know that's not a lot of time, but I would really like to hear your stories and your voices. So, um, you know, if you know people, if you are a person who would feel comfortable sharing and, and talking about this with me, I ask you to please get in touch with me. My email as, as Pete and everyone who listens to the show knows is, Griffin M at wcsu.edu. Um, and, you know, I just, Danielle, I want to thank you so much. I know you put a lot of work into, you know, just thinking about the things we needed to talk about here. And, and I'm so grateful to you for being the first guest on this. And I hope that, you know, maybe a little later in the year, we have you back and talk about how we think things are going and, and what more we can can do so 
Thank you so much. Well, no, I'm honored. Thank you so much for inviting me in. It was truly a pleasure. So um, for those of you who are listening, we are going to be doing more of these shows and more Gavin Grows. Um, We're actually uh, recording one in a little bit that will also be out soon about what it's like being a college student and how that changed with COVID and, and how you can stay on top of things. So um, I hope we keep this conversation going active and strong and we move forward, you know, to a, a better, safer, brighter future for all of us. And uh, I think that's going to be it from Gavin Grove. So thanks again, Danielle, and uh, we'll see everyone next time. So that's our first Speak Its Name. I hope you'll be back in a month to hear from some of the people who, I also hope, want to step up to our mic and to tell their stories. If you have a story to tell, please let me know. You can reach me at griffinm at wcsu.edu. I think we'll be hearing those personal stories for a while and that we'll hear them until they're no longer tales of tragedy, but become tales of triumph. That's it from Gavin Grow and Speak Its Name. Gavin Grow is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.